welcome. You're listening to The Yarn, where we bring you some of the best reporting from the graduate journalism courses here at the University of Melbourne. I'm Fia Walsh. Today on the program, when someone is at their lowest point, these people are there on the other end of the phone. I'm talking Lifeline volunteers with Master of Journalism student Beck Pridham. Hi, Beck. Hi, Fia. Thanks for having me on. I'm sure most of us know of Lifeline. You've probably heard the number read out during the news. But for those who may be less familiar, can you tell us what the service is? Yeah, of course. So Lifeline's a national service. It's a phone service. So you can call up um, basically when you're at a really low point and just need someone to talk to. And it's someone that's going to offer you an ear, someone that's going to listen and someone that's going to support you or empower you to support yourself through that low point. So I think it's really important. Um, there's sort of no boundaries around it. And I just think it's a really integral service, um, you know, for the, for the nation's national health. And I suppose now um, more than ever. You spoke with a few different volunteers. Can you tell me about them? What makes someone want to volunteer with Lifeline? I think, um, I mean, I only spoke to a couple and obviously there are so many people that, um, go into this service there's over 3,000 crisis support workers so definitely can't speak for them all but um, the overriding sort of reason seems to be that they want to help that they want to give back to their community and I think what I found really amazing about these people as well is um, you know any sort of I suppose community work, any, any volunteering is excellent, but it's sort of almost to the next level when you're saying like, hey, I'm going to put myself in a position where I have uncomfortable conversations for three hours. It's, um, yeah, I think there's something pretty special about um, the, pe- the people that do it. Yeah, one of the volunteers you spoke to was already a full-time carer. Yeah, um, Martina. So she was um, really quite fascinating and I included this in the article, I think, but she was obviously going through, um, I mean, being a carer is obviously a pretty, um, I suppose it's pretty full on. And um, she had friends of her say like, why don't you take up belly dancing? Like, why don't you do something that's, um, you know, a bit lighter? Um, But she just still had this idea that she could give and she had something to give and um, you know I think that's a testament to the sort of person that she was uh, or that she is and um, that I suppose level of selflessness but uh, yeah um, I I think that's pretty extraordinary. And what do the volunteers get out of it? There must be something that keeps bringing them back. I think they walk away well, what they said to me, I think they walk away exhausted, but having that satisfaction of knowing that they've helped someone um, and helped someone in a important way. I mean, they're not, it's a pretty serious line. They're not, you know, easy conversations, um, but knowing that maybe they've got someone through the night, maybe they've got someone through that wave. um, That's not to say that they won't have them again or that they've fixed it for people because we know that mental health and um, personal crises are bigger than, you know, just little moments. But knowing that they've contributed, um, knowing that they've maybe helped ease that person of some of their pain and suffering, I think that that's why they do it and that's what they take away from it. What kind of calls would they expect on a shift? They would get all kinds. A lot of them were people that were lonely, just 
um, you know, needed someone to speak to. Um, I think that's definitely something that people are experiencing right now, um, you know, in a pandemic with what, half the country effectively in lockdown. New data from the Australian Institute of Health and Welfare provides some fresh insight into how the pandemic has affected the country. There's a couple of services that are found in your area. More people are using crisis lines and other mental health services. And there's been an increase in ambulance call-outs for suicidal thoughts and self-harm. We had good data pre-pandemic of rising mental health problems and then we had COVID. And so now demand is through the roof. Sometimes it's people that just want to share something. Um, you know, people had written songs and would call and be like, hey, I've written a song and I just want to sing it to someone because I don't have anyone to sing it to. So they weren't necessarily always, um, you know, your really dark calls. And uh, But of course, um, dark calls are part of it as well. You know, there are people that are talking about harming and, are, um, you know, absolutely in dire straits and you know there's obviously some protocols and things that um you know are for helping people out of those situations um but yeah I, I i don't think there's any sort of one reason there's a there's definitely some that like i said that are popular but yeah i mean a crisis can be anything that's um it's really up to the individual so yeah Mm. And yeah, there are many suicidal people that call Lifeline, but as you say, there are just some that want to chat. There's a really sweet anecdote that you give of one woman who called just to relay her gingerbread recipe because her biscuits had turned out so good, which I thought was very cute. Um, but if we are having calls like this on the same line as urgent calls, that can be a problem. Are they considering setting up a dedicated suicide hotline? There are some people that say that it should be triaged, but then speaking to people like Alan Woodward, who is a, um, you know, who worked in the research team um, for Lifeline for many years and has gone on and is now a National Mental Health Commissioner, his argument was that while that, if you're looking at that from, I suppose, a practical um, removed point of view, then there might be some merit in that. But at the same time, if you did have separate lines, so if you had one that said suicide line, um, suicide line, for example, people who actually are potentially suicidal for a start might not realise they're suicidal and so might not call. People who are suicidal also might not want to associate as being that. So there's definitely a, I mean there's definitely a stigma around suicide and um, it could deter people on that front as well so while there is some sort of while there is an argument for it and I can see where people are coming from when they make it if you have this line that doesn't have boundaries around it it means that it can sort of work as a preventative measure and catch people before they maybe get to that dire point and refer them on to the help and support that they need.
Lifeline was opened over 50 years ago and it's quite touching to hear in your story how long-time volunteers have seen the different collective traumas that Australians have faced. Things like bushfires or news events like George Pell's historical child sexual abuse case, which you mention in your piece. Um, and now we've got COVID, which you've alluded to before. What effect has the pandemic had on Lifeline? Well, we know from reports over the last year that there's been a couple of record days in terms of the amount of calls that they've received. Lifeline has again broken its record for most calls received in a single day as the stress of COVID lockdowns increases demand for the suicide support line. Just under three and a half thousand calls were made on Monday. That's the highest in Lifeline's 57 year history. I don't think it's affected them too much in terms of an operational point of view um, because it's obviously an essential service and that hasn't gone away. Um, but the volume of calls, um, especially I believe last year in Victoria, it was, um, you know, when Victoria went through that extended lockdown, um, a lot of the calls were coming from that state. Um, I can't speak to where they're coming from now. I know that there was another um, record a few weeks ago. Um, my assumption would be that it was coming from New South Wales and Victoria um, this time. Uh, but yeah, I think it's just, this is anecdotally what I'm hearing, so it's not what's in the studies um, or that, you know, I don't know if the studies are sort of underway for this, but um, a lot of people, I think, just really experiencing that isolation uh, because you know, we're social creatures and we can't go out and see our friends and family and that takes its toll on people, especially when it's, you know, a week at a time or a, a week of lockdown might seem a bit like a mini staycation, but when you're doing doing it for extended amounts of times, uh, sorry, an extended amount of time, as you would know better than I would, um, I think it's really takes its toll on people. Yeah, and offering that personal connection, even if it is with a stranger, you can see how that is such an essential service. So where does the funding come from? Do they have enough to continue providing this service? Yeah, so it comes from, it's a bit of a combination, like some of it's from government, some of it is um, um, philanthropic. Um, I think it's, I don't actually know a lot about the funding, to be honest. I just know that those are the sort of structures it relies on. I couldn't tell you much more than that. So say I wanted to sign up, what's the process of becoming a volunteer? So it varies state to state and centre to centre, but um, there's a series of sort of modules that you'll have to go through, um, quite a rigorous training program. The one in Adelaide's over a couple of weekends, you'll be there both weekends, uh, sorry, both days of the weekend. Um, I think there's some, I think a lot of it's turned online, obvi on, so online obviously right now. So. Um, you'd be doing that and then um, there's sort of like a bit of a mentoring sort of um, side to it. So you're not, you know, kind of given some training and thrown into the deep end and, you know, expected to just sort of pick up a really hard call. Um, and then I suppose they, I suppose the um, trainees kind of go through a period, yeah, where they're um, almost like interns, so to speak. Um, and then, yeah, after a while, they eventually go on and become fully accredited. But um, even so, like there's um, after that, it never really stops. I mean, 
uh, mental health and you know the world in general we're always learning new things and new best practices so that they're obviously quite on top of that and so people will you know they'll run programs throughout the year once they you know tweak something or um, go you know we found this and we think it's really important so we want to change the way that we do things so that we're doing the best that we can for the people that call. And are they desperate for volunteers? Are there enough people signing up? Again, that varies centre to centre. In the case of the Adelaide Centre, not at all. Um, People are really interested and really want to help out. And that's been the case, I believe, for some time. Um, But obviously that varies. Um, You do hear news reports, or I have heard them over the years, um, of different centres calling out. So I can't speak for those because I haven't spoken to them. But... um, yeah, certainly in the Adelaide Centre, they do, must be doing something right or must have a really good culture if people want to, um, you know, people want to take it on and then people want to stay. And what's the crux of their training? What what do you have to learn to be able to take these calls? So I can't tell you too much about that because I don't know too much myself. Um, basically, they're a little bit guarded about that because they don't really want it broadcast because they don't want it to sort of undermine their integrity. I think, I mean, you could imagine if you were thinking about calling it up and you, calling them up and then you read like, this is our process for how, they di- for how they're going to deal with me. It takes out that sort of personal element. So I think that, yeah, they're, um, they have their yeah, own internal processes and they yeah, like to keep that to themselves, which is fair enough. Yeah, you don't want to feel like someone's reading off a script. But I understand rather than what they say, the most important thing is how they listen. Yeah, exactly. It really is. And um, there's a real, I suppose what I can speak about what they do train is they really put an emphasis on, you know, walking in there and absolutely leaving your biases behind. Like we, I mean, we all we all have backgrounds, we all have stories, we all have beliefs, um, but none of them are necessary, none of them are relevant. Um, If you're telling me, if I were, if I were a call, sorry, if I were on the phones and you're telling me about your experience, even if I've had a similar experience, it's not about me. Um, And that's what they really try to reiterate. And listening, I think really, Maybe it's such an underrated thing in society, but um, that's really what they push for. And I think that's really what helps people is knowing that they're going to be heard. On The Citizen and Radio Fodder, you're listening to The Yarn. I'm Fia Walsh and my guest is Beck Pridham. Beck, we'll have a look at your reporting process for this story. I know there can be some confidentiality concerns around Lifeline volunteers. Was that a problem? How did you go about reporting this story? No, it wasn't a problem in this case. I um, had a contact that I reached out to within Lifeline and they were able to put me on to uh, the volunteers. So in that way, it was sort of a, I would like to speak to someone or I'd like to speak to whoever wants to speak to me. So here are my details, like come forward. And then a couple of people said that they would be happy to and then I reached out to them. So um, yeah, that's sort of how it works because obviously you can't just be, yeah, calling up and asking for people's contact details without their permission. Hmm. Sometimes when 
writing about a particular organisation or company, you can worry a little bit about it coming across like an ad, an advertisement for the for the organisation. Did you have any thoughts about that in your piece? Oh, certainly. Um, and it's hard because as a journalist, you definitely need to take, be taking a step back and looking at something objectively. But at the same time, it can be pretty hard to sort of, um, especially when you're talking about some a service that does something as important as it does, to sort of, um, yeah, to not get, I suppose, swept away in it. Um, yeah, I was conscious about it. And I think that's sort of why I sought a different voice. I mean, that's part of the process of um, journalism anyway, but that's why you seek, um, seek different voices and, you know, make sure the story's not yours. But definitely when you're talking about an organisation that is, I suppose, as feel good as Lifeline is, you, um, yeah, you can be conscious that you're sounding effectively like you're writing PR for them. Yeah, you need to strike that balance between, you know, showing what a great thing they're doing, but also maintaining your neutrality. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Finally, Beck, do you have any socials where you'd like our audience to follow you? I've really got to get on to that. <laughs> um, if you'd like to reach out to me in um, any way, um, I am on LinkedIn. I just under Beck Pridham and um, yeah if you want to send me an email or yeah yeah um, anyway if anyone wants to email me or chat to me or ask me any questions I'm always happy to hear from people. Beck, thanks so much for your time today. Thanks Fia. You can read Beck Pridham's Lifeline story, Heartbreak, Joy and Everything in Between. Meet the Lifeline volunteers picking up the phone at thecitizen.org.au. Big thanks to Jordan Beasley, our producer. Mark Yin is radio photo producer. Music is by Daniel Birch and graphic design by Rose Gertzakis. That's it for this week. I'm Fia Walsh. See you next time here on The Yarn.